ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of That's Entertaining. Joining me again this week is one Mr. Alex Dewey. Alex, so are you present today? I'm here, yes, I'm present. (laughs) Not sure how to answer the question. Am I attentive? Are you attentive? Are you fully engaged? I'm present. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this week we will be discussing Mission Impossible 3, the J.J. Abrams entry into the series. Uh, Last week we had John Woo's interesting interpretation of the franchise, and this week we'll be getting into a more grounded approach, I guess you could say, to the series again. So, but before that, as you know, as we brought out last week, this episode, hopefully you're listening to, uh, it. we're going to have to schedule server things and hopefully it releases on time, but again, we are recording this uh, a little bit ahead of time, just so you can uh, have new content fresh each week while Alex and I uh, gallivant across the country. Yes, we have lives. <laughs> so, welcome again to That's Entertaining. Alex, have you been entertained by anything in the past night? Mission Impossible 3. There you go. <laughs> so, we're just going to jump straight into the discussion this week, folks, with Mission Impossible 3. And I just want to start with this. That, you know, while watching this movie, I came up with this theory. And I believe that Mission Impossible 2 is actually a dream that Ethan had. Because you look at Mission Impossible, then you look at this one, that is definitely the same character. In between, there's a superhero that was created that was falling (laughs) off stuff and just, like, you know, doing karate moves everywhere. And I'm pretty sure that was one of Ethan's dreams that he had. They were just interpreting that. And I guess they wanted to make it a movie, so they did. This is a proper sequel to the first Mission Impossible, I think. Uh, With the same character and everything, the same... He felt like he was the same kind of guy that he was in the first one. In the second one, he just became a different person entirely. That's my theory. That's what I think happened. What about you? I, it's an interesting theory. I, I definitely agree that it's a better sequel to Mission Impossible 1. Um, I guess Tom Cruise, uh, or Ethan Hunt, sorry, had a dream. And in this dream, he was a superhero. And he had this long hair. And... He had been uh, programming Bruce Lee films in his head and just, I don't know. It's a better build off of where the character left off in Mission Impossible 1 where, you know, technically he said that he was going to retire, right? Mm-hmm. And then he takes, we don't know. It's open to interpretation whether he takes the mission or not at the end of the first one, right? Mm-hmm. In the second one, it opens as if he took the mission. He's been continuing to do this, right? Yeah. And then in the third one, it opens up. He's moved on. Right, he 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 doesn't go out on. He, he still works for IMF, mm-hmm. is my understanding, right? Mm-hmm. He does, but he just doesn't go out. He trains people, right? But he's moved on. He wants a safe life. He's moved on with a, with a, with a wife, you know, soon to be wife. So, I don't know. It's just a better it's just a better overall build on where the first one left off. Um, but interesting take on the fact that it may have been a dream. The second one was definitely a fever dream. <laughs> it's a John Woo dream. <laughs> so let's talk about this movie. Obviously, it opens up with. With the scene, which is first for this series, where it's it opens up midpoint in the movie, really, this scene takes right. place, and then we catch back up to it later. Uh, pretty pretty good opening, 
I would agree. I, I mean, just when I saw that, I, I've seen it before, but this was kind of like seeing it for the first time because it had been that long. Mm-hmm. Saw the opening scene, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, Tom Cruise is, you know, Tom Cruise, whatever. But Philip Seymour Hoffman, man, that mm-hmm. that guy get he got me excited to watch that movie. His performance was amazing in this movie. Incredible. I, I was very entertained by that first scene. And I mean, just basically, it's very realistic, right? Because in a lot of those hostage situations, the hero is able to talk their way out of it, right? Right. And this one, it's more down to earth in the point where the guy that's holding the gun, he doesn't buy it. He's fed up. He's done. It's just like he just keeps counting over and over again. There's nothing that you can do. And sometimes in a real world scenario, not that I have any experience, but uh, <laughs> you are helpless, even if you are on the good side, right? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do. It just got me really excited to watch the movie. Yeah. More down to earth. It, w- it was a great, great opening scene. It really drew you in from the beginning. Um, and I, I think that, I'll just go ahead and say it now, of the three that we've watched, this is my favorite so far. I would agree. I'd rank it at the top, yep. Yeah, so... So my, my ranking is this movie, number one, then two, then one. But, you know, it's funny. When we watched the first one, we kind of assumed that the second one was going to be better. And then when we watched the second one, we kind of assumed that the third one was going to be better. Right? Mm-hmm. After watching the third one, before I'm watch, getting ready to watch Ghost Protocol, I'm not so sure that it's going to be better. I'm not either. That's how good Mission Impossible 3 was to me. Yeah, me too. And the same exact sen- sentiment as you is that... You watch the one, and like, yeah, okay, the next one, I remember it being better. You watch this uh, second one, yeah, same thing. Right. This one, I remember being one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Because mm-hmm. um, I know they kind of go crazy in Dubai in the next one. But let's let's talk about Mission Impossible 3. Let's focus it in, rein it in All right. on the story overall. What do you think? I thought it was a good story. I, I mean, at some point, we're on the fifth movie right now, right? So, and the then new one? the new one's the fifth movie, yeah. right? At some point, you have to look at these movies as individual missions, right? They're not, it's not a trilogy. And, and I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make, at least that I made the first time that I watched. I'm looking for a story to build off of another story, right? The second one, it just kind of spoke to me that, well, maybe it could be a dream, but it just kind of <laughs> spoke to me that each movie is an individual mission. So I'm looking at more of them as standalone films with the Mission Impossible title. Right, you have a little bit of background about Ethan Hunt's character, about where he's you know been and gone, and IMF. They they all exist in the same universe. The two constants are Ethan and Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames' character, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the um, Maggie Q's character Zen, I think she's appearing in Ghost Protocol, and I'm not sure. I don't remember beyond that, but she's going to be a, a constant as well. Um, but other than that, I, I look at them as individuals, right? So I'm looking at I'm looking at the story. It's a good story. Very, very riveting. And, and, and again, same thing with Mission Impossible 2. There wasn't too much downtime to where something wasn't happening. It was action from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you had the little background at the beginning where he's a you know, married man or soon-to-be married man. He's pretending to be a, a traffic officer or yeah. something like that. He studies traffic patterns and things like that. Right. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, he's still very much involved with, with IMF. And it shows, you know, what he's been doing for the last couple years or whatever. But um, I love the story. And I think Philip Seymour Hoffman was a big reason why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, his presence was felt. And honestly, to act, you know, opposite Tom Cruise, 
um, and be, I, I think, the, the standout of the movie and to be the focal point, really, of the movie, he was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the scenes that I always thought of, uh, you know, after he had died, I always thought of this role that he played as just one of the best roles of a villain character uh, that, I, that I could think of. Uh, definitely top ten villain of all time, I would think. And how many people, because when you think of Philip Seymour Hoffman, lots of people, at least me, think of comedic roles that he's done. I don't think of comedic roles. When he, really? I, I don't think of any any comedic roles that he's done. Like, there's obviously the the, the dramatic role with um, Here, the dramatic role with uh, the Catching Fire Hunger Game movie that he was in. Yeah. And then uh, he was in Capote, I believe. Okay. Um, I I don't think I've seen any of his. So I I can think of two off the top of my head where he was a comedic support role. Twister was one of them, right? He was the comedic. Oh, he was in Twister for Twister. He was Dusty, uh-huh. and then there was a movie that I saw with Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston where he was Ben Stiller's like just hilarious friend. And when I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think of him as being funny, right? Mm-hmm. So this shows another side of him. The range that he has. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean. Of course, he's gone now, but um, amazing actor, and I think he made he made the movie for me, what it was. Yeah, I mean, you take out his his role was very integral to this film's success. Uh, you take out that particular character, and obviously, you if you recast him with someone else, like let's say you recast him with who's who's another good example of a villainous character. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I can't even think of any villainous characters. Well, we'll take the head. villain from Mission Impossible 2. Oh, yeah. you No. no exactly. It doesn't even matter. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably a more high-profile name than that guy was at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? But, I mean, even if you go back to the Mission Impossible 1 or you put John Voight, he was technically the antagonist. You just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Right? But when you go back and you watch it, he didn't, he didn't make the movie for me. Yeah. So, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously, as the main villain that we... That we, we see as the antagonist. Yeah. yeah, obvious villain. And then it gets more in-depth, right, with as the story progresses, you know that there is someone else, you know, kind of in the system that is also against Ethan and the IMF agency. Mm-hmm. So at first you think it's Lawrence Fishburne's character. And I love Lawrence Fishburne in this role. He was actually really good. I, I thought that his, his acting and everything was spot on. You know, just that the, he wasn't in it for very long. Very Morpheus, though, right? Yeah. I mean, Immortal Morpheus. Exactly. He's just like, you know, sitting in there like, you got some intel. I'd love to see that intel. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like it was really a, a good role for him to have. I'm sure he probably wasn't on set for more than a day or two. But yeah, it was it was cool. But then you see his other his his actual commander or his his um, uh, Ethan Hunt's boss. Mm hmm. Um, which was another guy. I can't remember what his it's name the was. The younger guy that came to him in the gas station is who you're talking about, right? Yeah, that was talking to him with the lip reading thing, which I thought was interesting. But I don't know. I would think that they would have cameras that would catch what he was trying to do. So he was John Musgrave. He was the operations director, Billy Musgrave. That's who Ethan Hunt would report to. And then Lawrence Fishburne was the head of the IMF. Yeah. So. So that's kind of the chain of command. So we have the rescue mission. That we begin with. That is what kind of pulls him away from his family, from the party, back into the into the field. And he assembles this team. Obviously, mm-hmm. we get Ving Rhames. Well, the team was already assembled. Oh, yeah. He, he joins the team. They've already pre-assembled right. it for him. So do you think that was a big factor in why he came back, because of the team that was assembled? Because, I mean, obviously, you have 
it's not a coincidence that Ving Rhames is on the team. Right. Right. And I don't know if they made any connection to if he knew the others before. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, I think the biggest reason is because of his agent he trained. And you saw in that flashback sequence that yep. he's the first one that she had or he had recommended for field, du- field duty. Right. So those so, are his two motivators. Those yeah. are his two drivers to, to get back in. Exactly. And you can tell that he really doesn't want to. He really does not want to go back into the field. He wants to just stay at the party. He wants to be a husband to, you know, his wife here. There is definitely struggle between him and telling, quote, telling his wife that he needed to leave mm-hmm. for business. And then obviously he lied about it, mm-hmm. you know. But So you go in there and you go actually into that mission. Good action scene. Good opening, mm-hmm. you know, action scene. Uh, you had... The technology was being shown again and showcased with what they could do, what they had. That's always a big part of these movies, right, is yep. the technology that they show. So you had the the remote-controlled sentry guns that Ving Rhames had. It was, like, going crazy with them. Yep. It felt like he was going crazy anyway. Oh, yeah. And then you had uh, the night vision goggles, which were kind of cool. And then these little mines that he was throwing everywhere that kind of zipped on to, like, The magnetic ones? Yeah. yeah, very cool. So you had all that, and then you got... The shootout, he goes in, extracts the girl. They get her out. You know, she starts having a headache, and they figure out that she has that implant. Right. So get really close to being able to shock her to disable it, but obviously he doesn't get it in time. And she's trying to tell him something that only he should hear because she had figured out that there was a call that came from Lawrence Fishburne's office. Right. And she didn't know if it was him that was bad that he set him up or if it was the other character. But at that point, we know that there's something going on. Right, there's so, a mole. Yeah, so it draws you in to the story again. Then, unfortunately, you know, she dies. Which, again, realistic. How realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you might be able to get... Right? Let's say you go through all this trouble and you actually do extract her, right? And she still dies. Mm-hmm. Very realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it always struck me, and I forgot about it until I watched it, but it stands out. The look that they put on her face, like mm. when she died with like one eye going one way, kind of faded a little bit, the other guy kind of going the other way. Man, that creepy. It it hurt. Yeah. It hurt me to see. And, I mean, obviously, I mean. Very effective. It it would make sense, right? I mean, where the, the little, it looked like a little pill, like a little capsule that was implanted in her brain. Mm-hmm. Right? If that thing pops, right, or shocks inside your brain, I'm sure it would have an effect like that. Mm-hmm. And it must not be really inside the brain because I would think that if you if you injected that in a brain anyway, and it would probably do it. So it was probably just like right outside it and then the explosion kind of, yeah, the little charge they had inside there. Because we saw it later with Ethan how they kind of put it in there with the little, yeah. little And we don't even know if uh, using the defibrillator would have worked, right? Mm-hmm. And they never got a chance. Right, but we assume that it would have because later on like Tom Cruise essentially, you know, gives himself 8,800 gigawatts or gigawatts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, to to shock it out of him, and then he has to get so how, revived somehow. So how realistic is that? Let's that think about it, right? Okay, well, the Tom Cruise one, definitely not. Yeah. But it, it, he was at 150 for his the girl that they were extracting in the in the opening scene, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that it let, let's say that it, you, you know you shock her, right? Shocks the the little capsule that's sticking in her brain or outside on the outside of her brain. Wouldn't it have the same effect though? When you shock it, it pops. And you're sitting in the same it boat. It might. It depends on how it's triggering. It's hard to say. You don't know if it was going to work, but it was yeah. worth a shot. They're, she's dead either way right. at that point, so might as well give it a shot to try it. Um, so that's kind of 
Mm-hmm. You can kind of go along with that. But the Tom Cruise one, when he did it later on in the movie, not so much. Superhero and Tom Cruise. Maybe he... He was sleeping. Eh, there he you was go. sleeping. <laughs> so maybe that was his dream that he had. He had the Mission Impossible 2 dream while he was out at that spot. Yeah, he, he shocked himself, and then Mission Impossible 2 happened. Exactly. <laughs> that was in his head. <laughs> so, and the character that played his wife, I can't remember her name, but she was... I thought did a really good job as playing his wife as well. And Michelle Monaghan. She was in Eagle Eye, if you remember, with Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Just do it! Um, (laughs) (laughs) Saw that bet, I take it, yeah. (laughs) So I thought that it was well acted all the way around. Again, Mm -hmm. I mean, you had Lawrence Fisburne, who was an unknown quantity at the time. Still probably a cheap get, uh, get to have, but... Um, the only big name people you had were Philip Seymour Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Again, mm-hmm. you got your two leads. They really pulled it off. And I don't know, like, you, we talked about the budget of the last one. I don't know what the budget was of this one or anything, but you may have that information. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you compare it. Granted, it's got to be more expensive than the last two because just as time goes on, it gets more expensive to do these. The special effects were top-notch. Mm-hmm. looked really good. Um and a lot of the scenes. Oh, and I wanted to bring out too that one of my favorite actors, uh, his name just escaped me, but he was the pilot in in the beginning of the mission. He was a helicopter pilot. Let's see. He played in the Tudors. He played as King Henry in the Tudors. John, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan Rise Myers. Yes, yeah. He's he's a tremendous actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were going to say you you have your numbers. Readily at hand. Oh, if we want to go over the numbers, we can. They're actually pretty baffling. Um, so the budget for the movie was 150 million. So that's that's a pretty sizable increase from the last one, mm-hmm. right? But if you remember from Mission Impossible 2, they had grossed. Let's go back to it and get the actual numbers so I don't misspeak. There was a pretty good gross amount that Mission Impossible 2 did, as opposed. Remember when we related it back to one? It, one was disappointing. Two was actually pretty decent. They spent 125 million on Mission Impossible Two and grossed uh, 546 million in the box office internationally. Yeah, it, right internationally. So Mission Impossible Three, they spent 150 million, so 25 million more. They only grossed 397 million domestically or worldwide. Worldwide, really? Yeah, that is odd because Isn't this that? is a better movie altogether. Maybe the second one really turned people off to the franchise. It's very possible. Absolutely. But I, I definitely think this is a superior movie to two. I agree. Well, I mean, maybe the numbers are reflected a movie prior and after, right? So Ghost Protocol will build up, up the success of Mission Impossible 3. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say that we're going to see some pretty big numbers for the, the box office for Ghost Protocol. For next week's movie. For next week's movie, based on the success of this movie. Just because this would get me back in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this one kind of went back to the roots, right? Absolutely. Because we obviously talked about how 2 was a departure, but I still enjoyed it but more than uh, Mission Impossible the first. But looking at this particular example, you you don't have long hair Tom Cruise anymore, for one thing. It's because he's married. His wife won't allow it. Well, he was dating at the beginning. He's married or, by the end of the movie. Yeah, married by the end. So, and then I believe we have a little bit appearance before he got famous Aaron Paul was that him it was it was Aaron Paul I forget the name of the character that he played her brother Rick Mead 
Yeah. Yeah. So she was he was playing uh, his fiance slash wife's brother in the movie. But so let's talk about some of the set pieces, some of the action moments. We've talked okay. about the opening mission. The scene where they go and extract Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, and then that scene on the plane. Really, really big, obviously. Very spy-like. Yeah. How they go in there and methodically, you know, Tom Cruise goes in looking like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Great special effects, by the way. Mm-hmm. I know that we knocked on them using the overusing the masks in the second one. Properly used this time. Very much so. And, I mean, with uh, um, Ving Rhames' character, Luther, I think his name is, when mm-hmm. he's putting it on Tom Cruise, and you see the transition from just a mask over here, an object, to on my face with the voice modulator... Very cool to see. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the whole extraction process was really well done. Seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman with Tom Cruise's voice just doesn't work for me. Oh, that's that might be the weirdest thing. And <laughs> out of all these films, that might be the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah, and we also, at the beginning of this, got the little homage to, uh, again, Mission Impossible, the wire scene where he drops down. That's you know, his move. Yeah, that's his move. It right? is his move. So, and then you have, they blow up this amazing car. I'm like, oh. Man, I, every time I, I watch don't that, want to that talk hurts. about that. That's where the budget went. Yeah, <laughs> that's why everybody saw that. They saw that the car was blown up, and they're like, "No, uh-huh. this is terrible." But worked out really well. You know, they they extract him. They all go down into the sewer and get out out of the back. And mm-hmm. they're they the music crescendos, and they're on a boat going away. Next thing you know, they're in a plane, mm-hmm. and then they're trying to get information out of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. This scene is intense and really, really well done. Acted well on both Tom Cruise's part and Philip Seymour Hoffman's because you just have the the blank slate reactions or lack of reaction from Philip Seymour Hoffman's character when he's like looking down, you know, supposedly at a nothing at at the ground from you know a mile in the air. So that whole interaction, I mean, anybody would freak out. Yeah, anybody would be going nuts. I mean, before you get to that point, you know, you have the you know, you got a you got a wife, you got a girlfriend. I'm gonna find her. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna hurt her. I'm gonna kill you, right in front of her. I mean that his it, delivery, it, you know the lines, everything. It, it really good. Yeah, absolutely. So and then you know through this whole point, they're secret agents, they're spies. You don't want another identity. So then, while he's about to, he is cutting those. those straps off and he's going to let him fall down and die I believe right I mean even the other team members are there telling him uh, you have to stop stop because they're not even sure what Tom Cruise is going to do at this point well Ving Rams' character he knows what Ethan can do so he's that's why he's calling out and like Ethan because he was in his dream exactly (laughs) he was in the dream (laughs) so close they were in each other's dreams so they know what each other can do um, and he he senses it and so he's calling out his name Philip Seymour Hoffman hears the name he's like you know, he, he repeats it after the everything's over. It's like my business and what I'm selling and who I'm selling to do is not is not your business, mm-hmm. Ethan. And then at that point, you know, he knows who you are. Your whole life is about to get turned upside down because he's compromised if he escapes. Then you get to that scene where he does escape, right? You right. get to the drone strike, yeah, or the. I don't know what military kind of they were. They were. Obviously not a military, but South American sounded like because they were speaking a different language. It sounded like it was a South American language. Okay. So I'll go with that. <laughs> you go with that. So that scene, like when they pop up there and you just see them all sitting there with the guns and everything on the helicopter, very, you know, very, very, very good scene. 
Why they wouldn't just pick up and level Ethan at that point when they had clear reign to do so, I don't know. Because he's the superhero. That's true. He's the protagonist. Can't do that. He has his cloak on. He's like, you can't see me. <laughs> so, good scene when he breaks out and everything. Um, very intense moments. And, you know, he's trying to, to get the gun to shoot at the plane. Runs out of ammo, right? Mm-hmm. One of the... It's a really good breakout scene, from from what I can remember. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and and again, I gotta, I just gotta point out that a lot of these scenes, things go wrong, in a realistic way. Mm-hmm. I'm out of ammo. How 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 much? Uh, how many? How many rounds you got left? Oh, I have enough. Enough. A little bit of the superhero just pop, you right. know, one round. But still, he's out. It huh. it happens. You know, things like that. Um, I thought the score did a really good job at. at um, making these action scenes so much more intense. I mean, even even when Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just sitting there very plainly yeah. going creepily confidently saying, Oh yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna murder you. But and, and most villains are not that confident to say that because it's in their detriment, right? If someone like Ethan would drop him out of the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean very powerful, very well written and acted scene mm-hmm. uh, all around and then you get towards the end where they have his wife that that in that scene too I have to call out I love the way that they filmed that scene because he was right there next to her she was under the sheet and the yep. guy was pushing her out he touched that cart ran around yep. and then you pan around you see that guy loading him into the ambulance and him driving away while he's in the for- in the background while he's in the foreground rip Brilliant direction. Yeah. I love that shot. Absolutely. Again, realistic. Yeah. Right? I mean, you don't know. Because he's all running all over the place trying to find her. Frantic. At that point, he's being overtaken by emotions. He's not thinking like an agent. He's thinking like a husband. Right? So, past that, we get to... He's got to do this mission to find this rabbit's foot, which we never even find out what this rabbit foot is. I mean, it's a, it's a complete who knows what, It's but it's small enough to fit inside of his pocket. And it's kind of what Simon Pegg's character said. He was the technician at IMF that they were working with, and he told the story of his teacher, right, that he used to have, his professor in college, where he said, when I look at things like this, I don't have to know what they are, but when I look at things like this and this type of organization is spending this type of money, mm-hmm. it's, it's a device that could potentially end the world. And that's just the impact that the rabbit's foot was supposed to have on the movie. Nothing mm-hmm. more. Yeah. It was, it was a MacGuffin. It was just, it <laughs> was the go. thing that they, you know, are chasing after to get. So Cool name, yeah, right? Yeah, there you go. Rabbit's foot. <laughs> so you have this cool scene where he does this little fulcrum swing parallel to get to their building, which was kind of cool. I mean, I'll admit that was pretty neat. And then... Getting into the more un- unrealistic side, but that's okay. Right. And then, like, he's sliding down and everything and, you know, popping a couple guys as he goes down. It, good scene. I liked sure. it. Good, good, good... IMF agents would be able to do something like that, I'm sure. You know, right. they're, they're the highly trained ones. Right. So we get past there. He finds this rabbit's foot. He contacts them, and he has this confrontation with the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, right? Mm-hmm. He's got the thing in his head at this point. So he, And, by the way, the opening scene has now happened, and it wasn't his wife. It was the head of security while Philip Seymour Hoffman's character when he got caught at the Vatican. Right. So, in a mask. So, obviously, a very impactful scene there, too. Yep. 
But, so she is still alive. He goes to find her. And then you have the confrontation, the battle, you'd say, with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and him happening there. And then you have the scene with him shocking himself and all that jazz. That wouldn't happen. And then Mission Impossible 2 takes place. And then... <laughs> and then... Timeline. Yeah. The way Philip Seymour Hoffman's character dies, I'm assuming he's dead because I'm pretty sure you can't survive a truck smacking into you head on like that. It's pretty gruesome, but befitting. It, and it's not like... Philip Seymour Hoffman's character doesn't strike me as the type that would be able to recover so well from injuries mm-hmm. either. So, yeah, a little eh on that one, but... Yeah. It, I think it was better than the previous resolutions we've seen, I think, with, with John Voight's character and with the other character in Mission Impossible 2, his little... I think he just got shot, mm-hmm. right? But very impactful, literally. <laughs> <laughs> So, we're winding down, right? Everything's happening. Everything's, they ask if they want to know what the rabbit's foot is. And you say, hey, if you stick around, I'll tell you. He's like, nope. And he walks out the door with his wife. Mm-hmm. The only thing I kind of don't like about this is the ending. Like, the, literally, the last scene that we see Ethan and his wife walking and it just, like, fades or stops with them walking out together. Eh, I thought it was a little too much of a everything's in a nice little, nice little bow for the story that we just saw to have... You know, it's, I like happy endings, don't get me wrong. I think it's too much of a clean bow ending. Do you think it's maybe because they didn't know if they were going to continue the movie series past that point? Possibly. Because, I mean, you could throw in another scene right there that says, you know, four months later, right? Mm-hmm. And they're married, they're at their house, they're having a good time. And then somebody, mailman comes to the door, right? says a, a code word or code phrase and gives Ethan a package. Yeah. And then we're right back in this dilemma all over again. So how much... Maybe they just wanted to do something different, though, because that's kind of what they did in the other ones, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how many times can we keep going around the same circle, right? Yeah. He's not an idiot. He's not insane. He just... He wants he wants a life. Yeah. He wants a life. He wants to be able to, to live his life the way it is. And his wife now knows that he's an IMF agent. And apparently is accepting of that. Right? Maybe if he chooses to be done, I'm not sure. But from the time frame of the movie, from 2006 to 2011, it appears as if he's ridden off into the sunset. Yeah. So next week we'll be discussing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I don't remember his wife in the movies past Mission Impossible 3. I have... I know that she shows up in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Okay. So I won't say anything more than that. Okay. I remember that she does. Spoilers. Spoilers! So we're going to go ahead and wrap up our discussion this week. Any final thoughts on Mission Impossible 3? If you haven't seen it, watch it. This is the best so far, for sure. Absolutely. Um, What's your rank? I think I know. 3, 2, 1? Well, 2 within 3, 1. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. Even if you haven't seen the other two Mission Impossibles, I wouldn't even feel like you have to be obligated to watch the first two. You can just start with three. You can. And we said the exact same thing yeah. last week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Eh. Well, that's what I mean. You're, the more I watch these, you're more looking at them as individual missions per movie. Each yeah. movie is its own action sequence. It just happens to have some recurring characters from other movies. Yeah. And I think it's really well done, obviously. It can stand alone mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Uh, but if you want the background, feel free to check out the other movies because, obviously, Ving Rams is a constant. Ethan Hunt, and you kind of understand what's happening. Right. So, 
my favorite of the series thus far. Agreed. Again, next week we'll be talking Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And I have a question for you, Alex. Shoot, Nathan. Would you shock yourself, even if you didn't know if it would work or not, to stop a bomb from going off in your head? To stop a bomb from going off in my head? Probably. I'd probably do it. (laughs) What about you, listeners? Would you shock yourself if you thought that there was a bomb inside your head? Oh, wait. Do do I think that there's a bomb in my head or do I know? Well, you're pretty. You were told, and the symptoms show Hmm. that it's the same as before. See, now I don't know. Now I'm rethinking it. Unless I have 100, unless I can see a picture of the thing in my head. If it's 99%, would you do it? Or does it have to be 100%? Uh, 99% is fine. 95? Sure. Ninety. You're gonna get to a point though that I'm <laughs> gonna say no. And do I know that the shock is going to work? No. Do I know if the shock is going to kill me? If yeah, it's it, a shock, it will kill you. If yeah. If I it, well, I know that the amount of sh- shockage it, it will stop your <laughs> it will stop your heart. Okay. Then that line's gonna be closer to like I'd have to be like ninety percent or more sure that there is actually something in my brain. <laughs> There you go. So how about you, listener? Would you, or do you have a qualification, 90% or more, <laughs> for sure, if it's going to happen? Let us know. Give What's us the a, limit? <laughs> there you go. Give us, give us a tweet at, that's, uh, at entertaining pod. Two weeks in a row, man. This <laughs> oh, man. There's no, there's not even any do shine this week. Uh, so send us a tweet at entertaining pod or an email, that's entertaining at gmail.com. We would love it if you send us a review over at iTunes, Stitchers, or TuneIn, as we are available on all those platforms. And I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but I think I did once, but if you listen to us on TuneIn, or if you would like to listen to us on your Xbox One, you can download the TuneIn app on your Xbox One and listen to us. I've tried it. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> we're, we're pervasive. <laughs> so you can follow Alex on Twitter. Yes, at D-O-U-E-1-H-1. And you can follow me. I am at Sith Nightmare, S-I-T-H-K-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E. That'll do it for us this week. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you have been entertained. <laughs>